Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here. This episode is part of the Summer Series Takeover 2021, where a friend of the podcast, a writer or illustrator who has been interviewed on the podcast, chooses an author of their choice to chat about books, writing and any other topic they choose. Enjoy. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, <laughs> Thanks, well Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so yeah. true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I was like, edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Hello everyone, I'm Ashley Collagen Blunt and I'm the author of How to Be Australian, a memoir, and My Name is Revenge, which explores the historic connections between Australia and the Armenian Genocide through fiction and essays. And I'm very excited to be taking over this episode of Wars and Nerds to speak to Sasanke Mesamung. Sasanke is the author of Always Another Country, a memoir of exile and home, which was first published in 2017 and also The Resurrection of Winnie Mandela, published in 2018. She is a South African writer whose work is focused on race, gender, and democracy. She has written for a range of international publications, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, The Guardian, Newsweek, Bloomberg, and Al Jazeera. Sasanke grew up in exile from South Africa, the daughter of a freedom fighter and follower of Nelson Mandela. Her eloquent memoir of home, belonging, and race politics traces her childhood in Zambia, Kenya, and Canada, her university years in America, and her return to a South Africa that is free, but not just. She turns to deeper understandings of home, untwining geography and belonging, finding refuge in family, and a new life in Australia. Sasaki, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm very keen to talk to you about about your beautiful memoir because it's incredibly written, but it's also a book that I just, I learned so much from it. So I was so glad to have the opportunity to read it. So I wanted to know what led you to write Always Another Country? Um, well, thank you for saying nice things about the book. Um, I guess I had always wanted to write. 
uh, in a significant and substantive way. So I was the kind of person who always loved writing in a journal and I knew that I had a capacity to write, um, but I had always had a day job and pursued a whole different career. Um, and then I was able to take a break from work um, in 2012 and I spent a semester at Yale University and it gave me the headspace to figure out that I really wanted to write in a more serious way. And people had always told me that the story of my family of, you know, the freedom fighter parents and the moving around to many different countries and the window that that gave, you know, to a whole bunch of experiences about what it meant, not just to be South African, but more importantly, what it meant to be an African in the world. People had always said that that's a really interesting story. And so I wanted to do that. Um, but in the back of my mind, I also wanted to do the thing that I think many African contemporary writers want to do, which is to tell a bunch of stories that people are likely outside of Africa to never have heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within our continent, um, speaking to other Africans, um, again, in ways that explore methods and techniques and approaches that um that are newer than the kind of first generation of African writers, the Chinua, Chebez, and all of that stuff. So yeah, I wanted to play, but I also figured that I had a story to tell. And yeah, and you really did. And uh, and and it's as as you said, so much of what I read there was was new or or building on things that I only knew very little about. So that I think you really achieved that in terms of in terms of um, at least for me as a reader. What were the biggest challenges? So when you sat down to write that memoir, like what was the what was the headspace you were in? How did you think the project would go? And how how did you find that it developed mm-hmm. as you worked your way into it? So I initially wrote it uh, like many writers do along the sidelines of my life. You know, it was sort of in the margins between other meetings and you know paid work in in real life. So there was real life, and then there was my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there came a, a moment when I we moved to Australia and I suddenly had time on my hands and I didn't have a main thing anymore. And so writing the book became the main thing. And that's, I think, the period when it moved from being a project to a book, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so it, it suddenly became the thing I was preoccupied with all day, every day. Um, it... Uh, meant that I could um, think about what I wanted to say, um, which is, I think, the step you need to take when you're writing a book is that it's not just about getting the words on the page, but it's also about thinking very seriously about what it is that you're trying to say. And some of that gets figured out, as you would know, in the writing itself. (laughs) Yes. Um, and the only way that it can get figured out in the writing itself is to write. So I always say to people, the only way to write a book is to write a book. That's, that's, <laughs> that's wonderful advice and so, so true. So how did, so when you were finding out what you were trying to say, were you, was there anything that surprised you? Um, yeah, I think I knew, as I said, I knew the spine of the story, which was the story of my life, which was the story about, you know, these uh, this revolutionary guy who left South Africa, uh, um, uh, you know, to to fight for freedom and then ended up having a family. And so I always knew it was going to have something to do with how you how you balance your idealism and the desire to change the world with the reality of a domestic and family life once you have one. 
And I think that's something that people grapple with even in less dramatic circumstances. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you if you are a writer or you want to pursue creative things and you also have a family, that is, you know, that's a reality that you have to juggle. If you are working a nine to five job and you have, you know, recreational pursuits that you love, you have to juggle, right? So so I, I knew that that was going to be a big theme. Um, and I kind of knew that there would be a big theme, which was about belonging, which was about coming home to South Africa and trying to make South Africa home. So I knew those two things. What surprised me um, was the depth of my understanding of those things. Mm. So in the writing, I came to realize how much I knew. Um, wow. Yeah, and that was nice that I would I would have these insights that I was able to put down on paper that I didn't hadn't operated within me at a conscious level right. and putting it in writing was just like oh wow good for me I didn't know that I knew this oh that's fantastic that's really interesting and what were the most challenging parts for you to write if, if there were any that were part- that particularly stand out yeah I think the hard part of the book was finishing it okay so people always assume, you know, I write about um, being molested in the book as a child. And people always assume that that was probably the hardest part. And it wasn't. Um, and in part, it wasn't difficult to write because I really believe in only writing when you're ready to write or only telling your story once you have a story to tell. Okay. And so that means having processed it, right? So there's this you know, there's this contract between the reader and the writer and the, the writer promises to tell a story that's true insofar as it um, is true to the narrative that the writer wants to tell, that there's something authentic in it that the reader um, is able to pick up on. And, and then the reader sort of promises to believe the writer so long as they remain true. Mm. And so, you know, if you aren't able to tell your truth because you haven't processed it or dealt with it, then what you're doing in your drafting of your book and in your writing is really um, therapy. And, (laughs) and, and therapy is, is fine. It's cathartic, but it's not the same thing I think as literature. Um, And so, you know, memoir has to, you know, walk this fine line between, um, personal revelation and literary merit um, of usefulness to the reader for all kinds of reasons that, that readers might find things useful, but also telling the truth of the writer. So I was very aware of that balance. And so I tried to um, put things into the memoir that were true and that I knew that I knew something about them and that I had processed them And anything that was unresolved in me that I was still working through, and it didn't matter when that occurred, right? So you you can have processed something that happened to you five minutes ago, um, and you can have not processed something that happened to you 30 years ago, right? Mm. So if I had not processed my sexual assault, I wouldn't have put it in the book um, because it wouldn't have risen to the level of literary merit, and I wouldn't have had anything to share with a reader that is, I think, helpful or teachable. 
that's how I looked at it, right? Um, so the parts that were hard were were ending it because that means drawing it all together, but also because the, the the hard part at the end was that the book, because my mother dies, and so I needed to do justice to that, and so that required some 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 living before you can write it. Right. And did you feel when you sat down and started the memoir? Did you outline, did you map out what everything you were going to include? Or did you start with a more vague conception of what you wanted it to be and then sort of work outwards from there? I wrote the first three chapters uh, very intuitively, chronologically. I was born here and this is what happened. Um, And then after I reached the end of the first three chapters, which would have been about, oh, you know, 40 pages in their initial conception, 30 or 40 pages. Then I was stuck. I was done and I had no plan. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, where is this going? These were interesting little tales, but they weren't a book. And I knew that uh, they couldn't ever exist as a book unless I did something else. So then I had an outline. So I, I looked at what I had. I sort of categorized it and grouped it into certain themes that were emerging. And then I thought about the rest of the chronology of my life and thought, the chapters should follow the chronology, but that I should thread through the themes that I had begun to explore in the first three chapters. So that I pretty much followed that structure and that worked really well for some time. And then, and then I got to the end and I was stuck. I just didn't have a conclusion for the longest time. (laughs) Yeah, it was really hard to finish. And then I, so I just, wrote again. So I, I went back to the beginning of the manuscript um, and I just went through the entire draft again. And I probably did that seven or eight times. Nice. I just wrote and rewrote um, and made sure that every sentence reflected what I wanted it to reflect and tied, you know, so I, I got it as tight as it could. And in the process of, I think the contemplation and reflection that editing does for you uh, and working with the themes constantly I finally realized what the end would be and that that was, and that all along what the book had been about was an homage to my mother. And so once that became clear to me, I went back (laughs) and then I made sure that everywhere she appeared in the book was building a trail to where I knew it was going to end. Right. Ah, and, And you can, when you read that, you can really see that. And so you feel like, oh, that must have been your starting point. That must have been where you conceptualized it. But it's just interesting to hear that you almost reverse engineered the book. That's, That's right. Really fascinating. That's right. That's right. And the point you made earlier about when, when you're a memoir writer, you're not just telling people what happened to you, but you also have to tell them why it should matter to them. Like exactly. what, what, what did you learn from this? I think that was, I think that was really well said with the hindsight of publication the book was first published in South Africa in 2017 and then came out in the U.S. and the U.K. and in Australia is there anything you wish you'd done differently in the writing or based on the reception of the book no no not at all I wrote the book I wanted to write excellent Um, yeah uh, and I thought I would have doubts and concerns afterwards so that gives you pause but I don't regret anything that I put in the book and I especially don't regret the things that I left out um because I think I talked to a friend of mine before I pub- you know I was sort of in the throes of writing and I was con- considering adding a chapter 
and it was a difficult chapter um, and I had written it and it read beautifully, but I just felt uncertain about it. And then um, I reached out to my friend and he said, here's the thing about writing a memoir. Nobody has lived your life. And so nobody knows what you leave out and you have a right to privacy. So that, that was really important for me to think through because part of what happens when you write a memoir is like, you feel like you have to tell everyone everything. And especially in this age, you know, where the confessional is so important and there's so much to be learned. Like I'm a big fan of it, right? First person writing, first person narrative, memoir writing. Of course, I'm a massive fan of it. I've written a memoir. Um, But I also really think that idea of keeping what is yours to yourself, for yourself, um, is, is super important. And I brought that into writing a biography about Winnie Mandela. There were things about her life that I felt ought to have always been private. And that I brought that memoir sensibility about how much I protected myself. I brought that into my a project of biography because I think that's also part of you know feminist writing is this idea that you you want to write about women in ways that guard against how women have historically been treated. And so I, I wanted to do that to myself. Oh, that's that's really interesting. I didn't think about how writing a memoir would then translate into writing a biography. So do you think you would have had that same approach if you hadn't written the memoir first? Definitely not. Definitely not. When I was writing about Winnie Mandela, I was struck so many times by how much her privacy had been violated. And I was appalled. And I I was like, wow, this is terrible that all of this is in the public domain. And, and because I knew so many people in South Africa, young women in South Africa, um, you know, read me and that that my book about her might be their first encounter with her, even though there's obviously lots and lots of stuff about her in the world. Um, I wanted to introduce them to her in the way that I would have wanted someone to introduce me, you know, one day when I'm gone, right? And so I had the privilege of doing that for myself through my memoir. Um, and so I wanted to afford her, but I absolutely would not have written it that way had that been my first book. Oh, you are such an insightful and articulate speaker. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I get the opportunity to speak to you. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so I'm just wondering, this is a much more broad question, but who are the authors that you think people should be reading? Who are, who are the authors that you'd be recommending to people right now, particularly here in Australia? Mm. So I'm reading a lot of Australian books right now because I'm the um, curator for the Perth, uh, uh, Perth Festival's um, Literature and Ideas programs, the Writers' Festival. Right. And so I have had to read a lot of contemporary Australian fiction, and I love it. I, um, I really loved um, The Yield, which you know has been a runaway success by Tara Jean Winch. I thought that was such a beautiful book about this small town prosperous, which really functions as a stand-in for Australia. Um, you know, what she did in that book was to, ex- to condense and explain, you know, 500 years of, a, of, of history of this, of this nation in, you know, a few hundred pages. So that was gorgeous. Um, I'm a big fan of Melissa Lukachenko, different paced, um, always very funny. Her dialogue is incredible. Um, and so I loved her last book, which was too much lip. Yeah. Um, so I love, again, I love the protagonist Carrie in there. She's just hilarious. So I love the, I love those two books. Um, 
I'm reading um, Sophie Laguna at the moment, um, Infinite Splendors, and that is a very heartbreaking uh, book, but she writes so compellingly that you are carried away by the story and this interior life of this very sad and disturbed young man. So, yeah, I'm, I'm reading lots of women, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. lots of fiction. Yeah. And I loved Fathoms, which was um, uh, a nonfiction book by uh, Rebecca Giggs, which um, is about the history of whales and humanity, like our relationship as human beings with whales as a sort of the iconography of whales and what they mean to us and how we have destroyed them and then brought them back from the brink of extinction um, and what it all means. Beautiful nonfiction book. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Rebecca Giggs is a fantastic writer. I haven't, haven't read uh, Fathoms yet, but uh, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. So last question. You've had a podcast series come out through the Guardian through US, UNSW. Um, it's called Temporary. Can you please tell us about that? Sure. So Temporary is um, a podcast that really focuses on the ref- what, what we call the legacy caseload. Um, and the legacy caseload is um, 30,000 people who arrived in Australia by boat. Um, and so they live in the community on the, on mainland Australia. So it's been a very gut-wrenching, uh, sort of difficult podcast to make. Um, because unlike my memoir and unlike so many of the books that we try to write, it doesn't have a resolution. Um, and so that, I think, has been the difficult thing about telling those stories is that for every one of the people that we profile who are courageous and funny and smart and all of the things that all of humanity is there isn't actually an end point um and usually you know storytelling is about uh you know everyone the 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 first rule of, of of telling a story is that it has a beginning a middle and an end and for the people in the legacy case load there there still isn't an end and so they're in some ways very difficult stories to tell um but beautiful stories nonetheless Yes, I highly recommend it. Is there anything? Is there any particular story from it that that stands out to you that you could share with us? Oh, all of them were gorgeous. I really, um, Hani's story uh, was beautiful. A Somali um, young woman who came. Um, she's got a potty mouth. Like I love that about Hani. She's like this Somali kid who gets on a boat. She doesn't even know that Australia exists as a concept, let alone as a country. You know. This idea that people are coming to Australia to take away the rights of Australians is so absurd when you think about the fact that she's um, essentially escaping female genital mutilation and a very violent, you know, society and life and just needs to get away. And so she ends up in Australia, but she's got this foul mouth and this sort of guttural voice, which is so funny. Um, and she, you know, gets put in detention and she starts a newsletter, uh, you know, her journalism career begins and she covers like this story that Australia has done this swap deal with these refugees from Cambodia. And she immediately sees a connection between these Cambodian refugees and her own life. And she's still in detention and she's like 17. Oh, wow. She's an incredible. So yeah, honey is definitely stole my heart. Oh, well, I, yeah, I highly recommend everyone check out the temporary, the podcast. It's fantastic. So Sanke, thank you so much for your time today and for, you know, for answering my questions just out of the blue. Um, 
where can people find you, find out more about you? Do you are you doing live events in Perth or are your events through the Perth Festival online? So the Perth Festival will be in real life this year. We're very excited. I know. We started planning. I know. We started planning it a long time ago and decided that we weren't going to invite anyone from anywhere else in the world, that we would focus on a fully local, wonderful festival. And so we will be celebrating in real life. We'll zoom in a few people from the rest of the world, but it's a mainly local program and it's going to be lots of fun. And it takes place on the second and third weekends in February this year. And then you can find me on my website, sasankimsamang.com. And it has, when I feel like updating it, it tells you where I'm going to be. Um, and Amazing. I'm active on social. So you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. And definitely, if you're if you're interested in memoir, if you're interested in in Africa, if you're interested in the concept of home, which I think is something that resonates with most people as as such a complex concept, uh, definitely check out Always Another Country, a memoir of exile and home, which was published by Text in Australia in 2018. Thank you again so much, Sasanke. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Ashley. And I realized that I heard you on the radio a few years ago talking about your book. And I haven't read you, but now I absolutely will because I was fascinated. I was, I remember listening to, and I had to, I stopped and I had to get out of the car and I was late for a meeting because I was still listening to you. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, amazing. (laughs) 